This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like yourselves worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So sign up today at www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get our next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. That's www bonsai.film forward slash subscribe to get indie insights for free. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It Podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast. And this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend and co-founder with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. Hello, hello. What's up, man? Nice blue shirt, bro. I like it. Thank you very, very much. Uh, you know, I think it comes off a little purple on camera, which I think helps, too, because I'm such a caramel brown. <laughs> <laughs> It's not, not just that you're caramel, such a yeah. caramel brown. I got it. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah you yeah. can almost see my face spinning in a vat, you know, where they're mixing that caramel together. <laughs> I don't know, a, man. I don't know, I, don't know I don't know if you're that red. You know, there's some red tones in that in that caramel. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I, and, I, and I thank you for not saying caramel, by the way. It's oh, definitely you're, caramel. You know, you're, you're welcome. There, there are people who get mad at the pronunciation of the word Phoenix. I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just the thing um what i do understand is that we are going to have a great show today we're going to talk Indeed. about this nothing burger of a wga potential strike at least for now maybe it will end up being something right we're going to talk about uh the ip game in the film business and we're going to touch a little bit on branding and marketing especially around what we see happening with films like blood and honey and cocaine, cocaine bear <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and, and our take on that as, as folks who deal in that branding and marketing space in film. And then of course, we're going to bring back a couple of our great segments. Uh, first culture check, culture check. <laughs> a little culture check moment. And then we'll have some friendly advice from uh, our, one of our recent make, uh, mistakes in the making guests, Priscilla Wise. So looking forward to sharing that with everyone. And let's talk about the aforementioned WGA nothing burger. And I think my take on it isn't really about the potential writer strike or the writer's guild strike. It's more about how early the media gets in on it and all, and, and takes a cynical viewpoint, you know, right away. I mean, this is early. Contract hasn't expired yet, although it's forthcoming. Um, so how can they, so how is it positioned in such a negative way? Well, I'll tell you why. As a journalism major and someone who worked in journalism for a little while, we have to sit in a room and we say, hey, you know, which article got the most comments online? Which one got the most engagement? Um, if, if it's an internet thing, which one got retweeted the most? Uh, you know, which one 
uh, got the most clicks. And then it's like, let us put out more stories like that. And so I think that's almost always an outrage machine. And it puts us in the state we're in today in, in media, which is to get paid and to stay alive. I need to put out stories that people click on it. And this yeah, is just and, one of them. Yeah. And it's like, uh, so you say things that people click on, right? We call mm -hmm. that clickbait, right? Yep. But I think it's, it's slightly different than clickbait because it's actually taking you to a, a legitimate story, right? Yeah. That's actually related to the thing that you're clicking on, but that's my concern too. So there's a legitimate, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you want to call it an issue, uh, but there is, you know, legitimate, there's something happening, which is WGA's contract is going to be up. I believe it's May 1st, right? Mm. So yeah. like that's actually happening. So because that's happening, there needs to be some prep for, well, what is the new contract going to look like? Right. Because as, we, as we've talked before, I guess you got two options, right? You stick with the same contract or you get something better, right? There's no other option, which is we do worse. Right. 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 right, right. So if the same contract that they have is not serving their membership well, right, which is a challenge right now because streaming, you know, their current contract is really written ar around the rules that were associated with uh, potentially theatrical, right, and television rules. And now we're going into streaming and the way that the television rules, they're not working well with streaming and the writers aren't getting paid what they used to get paid. And now it's more difficult for them to make a living. Right. So there is this possibility of a bit of a standoff because if that's the case, right, if the current state is that the writers are not able to make a living under the current contract, then something has to change. Right. Yeah. That's the idea. So that means that there's going to be some level of negotiation, negotiation. There's going to be some back and forth. There's going to be some conflict in there, but I'm 100% with you in that there's a lot of stir about, this potential strike. It's like, you know, watch out for it. It's like, and, and Hollywood's preparing for a strike and they're doing all this stuff. I was like, no, 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 no. They're not preparing for a strike. They're preparing for the end of the contract and the need to negotiate a new one. Right. So everything yeah. that Hollywood is doing is normal. Everything the WGA is doing is normal. So yeah, like why stir up stuff? But I guess you answered the question, right? You kind of <laughs> have to, and the real potential for a strike that exists. And look, the last time the strike happened, it was 2008. And that was, you know, right as the market was crashing or, or, or right around that same exact time. So sometimes the timing of these strikes works against writers. Mm -hmm. you know, I thought yep. the last strike, although it was necessary, I thought it worked. To, I thought it hurt writers in the short term quite badly because of the macro conditions of the market. And look, the bottom line is, is that's where we're at today. Exactly uh, what I was going to say. Or could fall out uh, from the, you know, out from under us any moment, any day. Um, you know, what big bank is going to go belly up that's going to cause the entire market to crash? You know, you know, at what point can the Fed continue to raise interest rates by 25 to 50 basis points until we hit a deflationary market that uh, kills networks' abilities you know, ability to create uh, not just new content, but pay out additional funds for content that, that already exists. Now, on the other side of that, though, the WGA is fantastic, and they have incredible leaders that negotiate these contracts that I would say are more complex than ever, because how do you get paid from Fast TV? How do you get paid from SVOD? How do you get paid from VOD? Uh, there are a lot of new types of streaming that are being created and all of those types of royalties have to be figured out and have to be, you know, agreed upon. And the WGA strength really shows in the fact that they, their, their writers are willing to strike a, but B they're able to negotiate contracts. That their writers are willing to accept. If you have ever been uh, in Nashville, like where I am, you know, that the, organization supporting or the lack of organization supporting songwriters here in Nashville changed everyone's lives that were already in the industry. Uh, can't tell you how many singer or not singer songwriters, but songwriters from the seventies, eighties and nineties who were basically on scholarship because they had written hits, how their life changed when 
this when Spotify came out and when Apple Music came out. And really before that, iTunes. iTunes was really the one that changed yep, the game it. for all of them. Yep. They were making mailbox money that was significant enough to pay their bills. They weren't getting rich by, you know, by rich people's standards, maybe by, you know, other people's standards, but they weren't getting rich, but they were able to pay their bills. And now some of these songwriters who have always been getting mailbox money every quarter, that's significant enough to pay bills and have something left over that money went away because there was no WGA to stand there and say, let me negotiate or let's figure out how to still get these writers paid instead of just those who write for the top one one percent of one percent of artists and that's what the writers are saying is the same thing is that they're not looking for a contract that makes them independently wealthy right they want that mailbox money to enable them to have a living wage right to get paid doing you know for doing the thing that they love so so hopefully it does move through you know a, a good process you know the process the wga will facilitate and hopefully the the streamers the big distributors out there hollywood itself you know whatever hollywood really is you know hopefully all of that will work itself out and it doesn't go the way of a strike uh, because i think there are some things we know that we need to well i won't say we know I, I would say that i'm sure that the streamers and these big distributors they know they know they've been able to get over but they've been able to get over legally if not so much ethically because of the way that the contracts were done right i think they know that so the wga is now just trying to write some things going forward which makes sense well well i'm not to mention that let's not fool anybody let's let's not let's just call a spade a spade and call it is you know call it for what it is there's hollywood accounting right and it's an incredibly shrouded industry which in my opinion, every network distributor should be audited if they're not on a regular basis. Because if they can pull back and rip back without your knowledge money from you, they will absolutely do it. And it, it is, they've been proven to do it time and time and time again. And you have to be diligent as a writer or, or as a filmmaker about not being necessarily satisfied that you got your mailbox money, but did you get the right amount of mailbox money? <laughs> that's and, and, and that's, you're able to audit. It's just, it costs you to audit. So um, I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, can the WGA as a body have that in their contract to be able to audit, right? Yeah, do it across the do. board. And, and, and they have Nick, they have the money. They have the endowment to do this. Individual filmmakers, to your point, they don't. They don't. And they're really left in a position, and I really feel like distributors understand this quite well. They're really left in a position to just trust. You know? And I, I don't even know if it's trust, man, to be honest. I think it's one of those where it's just, it's kind of like coming up against a bully, you know, not to put them in that position, right? But what are you going to do? Right. right. What, what are you, what's really your option? You don't have any other options. So you just take what you can get, right? If that bully makes you go down, you know, a hallway that now makes you late for class every day. Well, at least he's not beating me up. Right. <laughs> that's, 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 that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you saw on the news this week, Nolan Gallagher from Gravitas is stepping down. He's going to just focus on the soccer team he co-owns. Hmm. And uh, I think MLS team. So that's that'll be interesting to see how that particular distributor changes within the within the marketplace. And look, I, this could sound like we're dog whistling our advocacy for unions. My opinion, and this isn't Nick's, but my opinion is that unions have a place, and they don't have a place. What do I mean by that? When they're good, you find them in the correct context. And when they're disruptive, you find them in a context that actually stops business and stops innovation and, you know, prevents those things. And then they become power hungry and they become greedy in their own right. So I'm a bit on the fence on it. I'm not pro or con union, but I'm pro or con, which 
market, which industry needs the union and, and which ones have got a union, but could do without it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult. That's a whole other topic in itself. There are so many different types of unions. It's yeah, it's a whole other ball game. I think in this case, the WGA is definitely necessary to help support such a a large swath. They're doing, they're (laughs) one of those ones where it's like, good job, producer's guild, good job. Like, you know, these, it seems like in film, if you didn't have unions, you could have some real chaos at the studio level, but unions involved in an independent film is typically a hindrance. So you see what I'm saying? So it's so, it's so, um, give or take, you know, here or there kind of, you know, kind of thing. Um, I did see also this week that fast and the furious is going to have another movie. Gino Toretto or whatever his name is rides again. My, my, my guy, Vin Diesel. I love Vin Diesel, by the way, Vin Diesel did it the right way. Like Vin Diesel, you know, bet on himself and won. Like that's what every indie filmmaker wants to do. Like, so trust me, I, I, I didn't need another fast and the furious, (laughs) but I do love Vin Diesel and I do support his journey and everything he's about because you can't have like a better success story. I don't even, by the way, I'm not sure that's his character's name. So if it's not everybody, like, don't kill me, forgive me, (laughs) but but, but it's an IP world, right? Yeah. It has its place. Right. And uh, I'll honestly say that, you know, I'm not a, so I'm not a big car guy. Right. So I'm not car or car, car, car guy. So I'm not that into Fast and the Furious, never have been. You do, um, you are into Asians though. And as, I don't even know where to go with that comment. You love Asians and you love Asian culture. I know, but this you're is- You're like the is, Wu-Tang Clan, but you don't rap. <laughs> right, but this is crazy because a topic we have for later. But anyway, <laughs> um, I've never been into it. But like you said, IP from an intellectual property <laughs> perspective, and just guaranteeing yourself work and guaranteeing your family work. And I say family by, I believe that the fast and furious cast and likely a ton of their crew are making these movies together, right? It's, you see, it's the same people doing it over and over again in every movie. Exactly. And what I'm saying is that they're, this is wonderful. Right. This is the type of thing you want to see. So whether or not I'm not, I'm a big fan of the movies, like, yeah, whatever. I think they're doing a great job. And I think that they're, again, they've made a long runway, right. For all of the people involved in that franchise. Will you tell the audience what you, what you majored in in college, Nick? I majored in computer science and mathematics. Now in mathematics and computer science, there are certain boundaries and rules, right? It's like certain formulas that seem to always work that are bound by a certain type of logic, right? Of course. Yeah. So in this movie and in the trailer, there's a scene where two helicopters pick up his car. They shoot him through the doors. (laughs) No, no, no. They pick up his car. No, they shoot him through the doors with the harpoons. Yeah. 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 They shoot the doors. They lift him up. (laughs) Yes. And he revs the engine of the car. Yes, and because somehow the engine's so powerful in the air, he slams the car he's down. able to slam the two <laughs> yes. helicopters down on the ground. <laughs> now, since you have a degree from Vanderbilt <laughs> University yes, in mathematics yes, yes. and computer mm-hmm. science, in the can school you of explain engineering, how this phenomenon works. Oh, uh, it's you know two words, brother. You ready? Yeah, movie magic. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Like, uh, and here's the so thing. Wait, are All you right. telling me that if I'm elevated in a car and mm-hmm. I mash the gas, I'm mm-hmm. not going to thrust two helicopters down to the ground? I can't do that. No, you can't. You can't do that. And now here's the thing. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know if by mashing the gas, <laughs> he, okay, he, I'm using your term. If there is some <laughs> sort of jet propulsion Right. That is pushing through the roof of his car Mm -hmm. that is then pushing him down towards the ground. Okay. 
thereby pulling the helicopters down. I don't know. He could remember all these cars are souped up. I don't know what kind of James Bond stuff he's got going on, but if mm. that's the case, then yes, he could do that. That could be a thing. There you go. More IP James Bond. Yeah. There you what, go. Other, yeah. What, what other IP is, is, are you seeing right now? Oh, it's, it's hot in the streets. I mean, you know, there's, we, we do have, of course, you and I have just recently seen Ant-Man, right? You've, you've seen that. Yep. So there's IP there and, you know, no, no spoiler, but I want to, majors. Yeah. yeah using no spoiler, no spoiler, but I will say that this is very similar to what we just talked about, about this idea of defying physics or creating movie magic or creating rules Okay, this might you be another what? thing. No spoiler, no spoiler, but you know what I don't need in Ant-Man? <laughs> I don't need Michelle Pfeiffer grabbing things out of the air and spinning them <laughs> and then acting like she can break <laughs> the time continuum stop, stop, by doing stop, that. Stop, stop, stop. Hey, well, let's let's wait. We'll have that in like two weeks when like all the spoilers are Did already out. You? And it, yes, it did, but that's for whole other reasons. Okay. And primarily for this reason. And I'm gonna jump off this. We can talk about IP. But the main thing is is that. In this particular movie, which may be also the thing that they did in Fast X, Fast 10, is their desire for you to suspend your disbelief based off of a whole new set of rules they have created for that film. Hmm. Right? It's like, we're just going to invent some stuff to make that make sense. Yeah. And the thing is, that's, what, that, that's what it felt like watching that movie. Exactly. Because the thing is, is that, you know, we always and we always say show don't tell. Right. That's like the key thing when you're writing a script and you're making a movie show don't tell. They told a lot, you know. So, again, we're going to do this thing where this thing happens and this thing happens. And then real quick, let me explain to you why that worked. Okay, in this universe, the physics is backwards and upside down, left, right. And, you know, A, B, A, B start. And if you don't get it right, the first (laughs) thing is like, come on, man. No, no, whatever, bro. Like. The, anyway, so Ant-Man, of course, that's IP. But the latest thing, of course, is Disney saying that they're bringing back like everything. We're getting Toy Story 37. We're getting Zootopia 2. We're going to get Frozen, you know. And then right now, of course, the IP that you and I are really interested in, intellectual property, is Cocaine Bear and another bear movie. Two bear movies at once. <laughs> that's right. We Winnie can barely bear it. <laughs> But don't boom. You've got I'll be Winnie here all Pooh. night. And the more I drink, the funnier I get. Exactly. You got Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. And I just want to let me let me just jump in on that one real quick. Okay. All right. And then we can do some little back and forth, right? I just did some Google. Explain to the audience what blood and honey blood is. Yeah, well, you know, it's Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, the character and all the characters in that set, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. entered the public domain. I want to say it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. So basically that copyright is up, right? And this happens with every character. I'm really concerned for Mickey Mouse next year, by the way. Mm-hmm. So um, so Winnie the Pooh's out there in the public domain. Now anybody can make a movie. So they someone decided to make and you know, and it's funny, I say someone, I haven't done the due diligence to actually look these people <laughs> up. <laughs> but they've made the movie Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which is a mm-hmm. horror film based off of these characters right so it's uh Pooh and piglet <laughs> i believe and what's happened is christopher robin has left them behind yes. he's gone off and lived his own life left them behind and they're starving in this land that where they live and they kill eeyore and eat eeyore and now they're out looking for blood and honey because they're mad at christopher robin so anyway i did some googling like i said as John people did <laughs> right so check it i googled winnie the pooh blood and honey so i put it in quotes right i want the i want just winnie the pooh blood and honey right all right i googled it the reason i googled it is because google gives you the number of search results that come back okay 31 million 300 thousand results that's remarkable, man. It's it's insane. Okay, on IMDb right now, it's getting a score of 4.4 out of 10 with a meta score of 16. Okay? Mm-hmm. But it's movie meter. Okay, there's 
how many movies on IMDb? It's like eight over eight million. I was going to say it's in the ten million range. Yeah, they made eight to ten million movies, right? Yeah, it's ninety four. Yeah, yeah. That's okay, right. it mm-hmm. has grossed two million dollars worldwide. Now they're saying that it's a it's a um, it's a low budget indie, right? And I'm not sure what they that budget le- is. They spent less than fifty thousand dollars on the movie. I okay, know, and I read and I read I, an article. Uh, you, you read that? Okay, so less than fifty thousand. Saying that he wouldn't say the exact number, but it was less than uh, the number that was put out, which I think was said it was like half of a hundred thousand or right. less than that. Yeah. So, and if you honestly, if you've seen the trailer, you'd believe that. Right. right. So let's say it's less than 50, let's say it's 50,000, right. Mm-hmm. It's already made $2 million worldwide. Yep. Okay. And that film has seven distributors. Mm. Two are in the U S one for streaming, one for theatrical. And then the rest are international international. Yep. Okay. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, independent film made for less than $50,000. So I just want to, you know, just talk to that real quick, because I think that, you know, you, you and I always talk about intellectual property and how powerful it is and how independent filmmakers should be on that train. Yeah, independent know? filmmakers like, that are hearing what you're saying need to understand that this movie would not have done as well if, if it weren't Winnie the Pooh. Like, right. it's not about the fact that it's a stuffed bear out for blood exactly and honey right <laughs> but it's that it's winnie the pooh that's out for blood and honey and look i predicted when we talked about this the first time even though i said it was quite stupid that it that it had unicorn potential and i think it's going to end up being an indie film unicorn where it's going to 10x its money i think if they spent 50,000 on it i think they're going to make 5 million minimum and, you know, I think it's going to order a magnitude like that. And it might make a lot more than that. It might make. Well, think about it. This is just. It might make 50 million because it hasn't even been released in the U.S. It, yet, I don't think. It, well, that's what I'm saying. But it hasn't been released for more than a month, two months, three months. Yeah. Like it's got time, right, to make yeah. the 50 million or whatever. Right. And they're probably going to do a sequel just like this idea of cocaine bear. Right. Mm-hmm. Cocaine bear is not as significant of intellectual property as a Winnie the Pooh, right. but they're leveraging the same type of thing and creating a world, if you will, around this type of character. Right. One and you is know, a and you know what they had to do because it wasn't the, as significant of IP. They had to throw a hell of marketing campaign at it and, 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 and a bunch of dollars. Yeah, because they got some campaign, really good cast of money. Cocaine Can't go bear. anywhere without hearing the word cocaine bear. Can't right. turn on the podcast, can't turn on the radio, <laughs> can't turn on the TV. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. So, but, but, but listen, I think you, you're making a good point and a point that we often make. It doesn't matter if you threw a bunch of money at it from a cast perspective, you're still going to throw a bunch of money at it from a marketing perspective. Right. Co- you look at um, Blood and Honey, same thing. They didn't have a lot of money to throw at cast, right? They don't have a bunch of cast. They threw a bunch of money in there, or at least time and effort into their publicity, right? Publicity, Again, let me get back to this, 30, property, 31 million, 31 million, 300,000 search results on Google on Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. It's insane. Right, this is, right, that's what I'm saying. I'm not just getting Winnie the Pooh. I put in the quotes for the whole thing, right? If you scroll down, you're seeing all the stuff. So yeah, YouTube, you've got all of these blogs talking about it. It's on Variety. It's in the New York Times. They're talking about this movie. Yep. Right. So I think that's our, you know, and I don't want to sit on this for too long. It got written so much thing, by the blogosphere and it made so much money that Variety had to write a piece about right. it. Right. And the New York other Times. established <laughs> rags had to, they forced their hand. Right. But this is what the, the, the reason that we're mentioning it is that that's what's necessary. Right. If you want to take your $50,000 film and you want to move it into a $2 million film, then that's what you do. One, Find some IP that's oh, there's a lot of it that's out there in the public domain. I mean, it's as easy it surprise, as searching. It would surprise most people, yeah. Yeah, it's as easy as searching for characters, even if you wanted to call it cartoon characters, but you could do characters in the public domain, leveraging one of those, or at least their story, right? I'll get to that in a second. And then having that publicity marketing campaign to go with it. Now, when I said leverage their story, and the reason I said I'll get to that in a second is because of cocaine bear. Okay. Mm-hmm. So cocaine bear is inspired by 
right? So here's the key. You don't have to make it based on, right? So uh, Alice in Wonderland, I believe Alice is in the, you know, in the public domain. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be based on Alice in Wonderland. It can be inspired by cocaine bear. None of that stuff in that movie happened except for what they dropped the cocaine in the, the, the bear, bear ate it. Coke. But right, that's it. Everything after that did not happen. <laughs> Which is why it movie says inspired. Magic. Exactly, it says inspired by yeah. real events. So you can do the same thing. So whether that IP is a character, right, that was a fictional character, or it was a real character, which the cocaine bear is. It is intellectual property that can be leveraged for an independent film that you market that can make you some money. I think that's the lesson in this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. And I think, look, don't, you know, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. I think there are a lot of people in the United States, in the world, all over the globe that have really great movie taste. And the reason I know that is because great movies get nominated for movie of the year every single year. Right. Which by the way, I'm still on uh tar. Give me, give me tar for all the, all the marbles. Uh, post second is everything everywhere all at once. Okay. That being said, the group, the demographic that moves numbers the most in film industry are 19 to 24 year old men, 19 to 24 year old men. Some of them are going to be film nerds and, and have incredible taste, but in many cases, you just haven't lived long enough to have a great sense of who you are and to have really wonderful taste. Why do I bring this up? Because it goes cocaine bear, but even more so blood and honey just goes to show that you can make a movie that's underwhelming from a critical standpoint, but if it's marketed and branded properly, you can get these demographics excited to see your movie. And so that's why it boggles the mind when we, talk to independent filmmakers that want to of all pieces of the budget neglect branding and marketing within it when you have example after example after example of movies that aren't necessarily earth-shaking but have incredible branding and marketing campaigns behind them and make a a ton of money so that that independent filmmaker can make their second and third movie. And so I just think it just goes to show like, here's a movie about Winnie the freaking Pooh killing people made for under 50 grand. It's pretty, it's probably going to be pretty rough watch, right? Mm -hmm. Here you have a movie cocaine bear about a bear in Knoxville that comes across some cocaine and in real life dies in five minutes as one does when he eats a brick of cocaine. <laughs> but instead you've got a great cast. They're hiding the fact that this is directed by Elizabeth Banks. Cause they want you to feel like it's indie, right? Like mm-hmm. they want you to feel like it's snakes on a plane, but that's part of the brilliance of the brain and marketing. So if you look at it, you have a studio film like cocaine bear and you have an indie film like blood and honey, and they're both leveraging the same thing. Why? Because it really, really works. And it works on yes. the most important demographic in film, 19 to 24 year old men. Right. But what is, and what does works mean? That it makes Tickets. money. Purchases. Yep. <laughs> exactly. It makes money. That's the key. So that's the, that's the part that I think we are you know, going to continue to emphasize. I think going you know through the rest of 2023, is the importance of the branding and marketing piece and the fact that filmmakers cannot continue to neglect it. Like that is just not, it's not a winning formula to make that piece of work and then just let it sit on the shelf, right? Even going to a festival is sitting it on the shelf. Like that's not promoting it out into the world, right? It might be promoting it to a specific festival if you're accepted or whatever, but like, that's not it. It's bigger than that. And these two films prove it. It's time for 
Culture check. We need to do culture like, check. I need to get I need to get like a uh, sample of that so I can just insert that in various places throughout our conversations and and content releases. Just drop a culture check in there in post. Okay, so let's oh, yeah, just keep, yeah. let's just I, make I, I sure let's write a note and asterisk to and make sure the producers see that we need to get like a like a culture check button that I can press. And just <laughs> push it, it's culture check. Culture yeah. check. <laughs> so what's our, what, yeah, what's our, what's our culture check for, uh, uh, the month of February here, Nick? All right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's pull it back to my apparent love of Asians or for this week, I should say. You're right, right, right. My apparent love of Asians and all things Asian. Right. Mm-hmm. But this one jumped out at me and maybe it's because of my love of Asians, but Simu, Simu Liu, right. So he was at the NBA all-star game, uh, this past Friday, and they do this whole celebrity look-alike thing on the jumbotron, right? And it's split screen, and they show Simu Liu, and then someone in the audience who apparently looks like him. Okay, mm. Mm. so they did this. This is and, NBA All Star Weekend in Salt Lake City, right? Yep, yep. And he was there, right? And uh, they did this, and the guy that they picked looks nothing like him, but of course is an Asian guy. Mm. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't just Simu Liu who picked up on it, but other people picked up on it as well. Like for real, like y'all just picked some random Asian dude. Like that's the stereotype we're going to roll like with. Fit? No, nothing like him. I'm just telling you, like, <laughs> that's the thing. Like sometimes it's like, oh, that dude's got dreads like this guy. Or okay. look at that guy's goatee like this that's guy. Funny. Or look, this guy's wearing glasses like this guy. no, nothing there's nothing resemble he, he does not resemble Simulu in any other way than the fact that he's an asian male mm. and so it's just crazy so mm. Simulu commented on it and he was like yeah like not cool guys you mm. know what i'm saying like he didn't look at me like me at all now there's the political part of it where you know and i'm sure he was like it's annoying you know like he's annoyed by it yeah. but he's not going to try to file suit or anything. Right. So he right. came back out after his first tweet. We're like, that's not cool. And he was like, look, the NBA is great. Like all the folks there, I was there. They supported me. They gave me love. That's all good. Like I'm not mad at the NBA. And there was one guy with a camera who made the decision to do yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not even necessarily hating on him. Like, I don't want him to get in trouble, but I'm like, really like- dude, yeah, yeah, but I'm not like I'm like really. Dude. Once you tweeted and, that, exactly, and and then the guy who was in the, you know, in the jumbotron, yeah. um, he also Simulu also was like, well, you know, that guy's handsome. He just don't look like me. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I think Simu was really trying to do the the political thing or the PR thing because I don't know, man. I looked the dude in the thing, and I wouldn't necessarily call him handsome and not by necessarily my standards or anything but yo no he didn't say handsome my bad this is this is his actual thing okay okay all right As he says this was just one person with a camera and no disrespect to my man in the videotron either he's gorgeous we just don't look alike when you check out that picture a dude in the videotron we should have producer at least drop she it can, she can drop it drop in there for us but i'm just telling you he ain't gorgeous you know what i'm saying like <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, nah. He, he ain't gorgeous. So anyway, it's just one of those things where this is like another one of those places where, you know, the guy who was recording, obviously he made a mistake and that's a cultural mistake, right? Because in this context, like now in today's time, maybe he was being funny, you know, like maybe that was a joke. Maybe he's trying to be funny. Yeah. But those jokes don't hit the same as they did. In the Five, 90s, they smashed. Ten years, oh, all day. You know what I'm saying? And everybody would laugh about it. But now it's kind of like, dude, bro, you can't do that. That is culturally insensitive. But so anyway, I thought it was cool how Simu Liu handled it because he did call him on it, yeah. right? As did tons of other people in the Twitterverse. But Simu also came back and was like, but chill, like, yeah. Let's not get too he serious a, he about good, it. He's a good human being, and he had yeah. a good human being response. So, yeah, kudos to him. Like, as a light-skinned dude, I basically get told I look like every light-skinned black dude that ever made a name for himself. Right. From Albie Shore to Heavy D to uh, Will Smith, when I'm, in, when I'm in good shape. These days, it's almost always Russell Wilson. I want to shut down a... 
yeah, I want to shut down a TJ Maxx Home Goods because I thought I was Russell Wilson. I'm not even kidding. I almost well, you can't shut be that walking thing around down. with a football in your hand. You know what I'm saying? Stop yeah, doing yeah. that. That was that was the that was the giveaway. But it's like it used to be Christopher Williams. Um, right. Who's the a PM? Who's the lead singer? PM Dawn. No way. No way. Yeah, I don't even so know his like, name, but no way. You get like such a wide range. Oh, John, basketball player. Uh, what, what about John uh, Cicada? John, what's his name? The singer? John. It's not Cicada, but I know you're talking about. Wait, wait. <laughs> Rick Fox. Rick Fox. Rick That's Fox. The other one. Oh, yeah. I get That's Rick Fox when I play basketball all the time. Who's guarding yeah. Rick Fox? Rick Fox is <laughs> killing us. Like, I get that all the time. I love and it. So I it's love just, it. Like, but I don't know if I've ever been called someone that I was offended. Right. Like, uh, it's Sinbad. I've been called like, so I look like Sinbad. Yeah. It didn't yeah, offend yeah. me. Sinbad's one of the low key, funniest, funniest human beings on the planet. Yep. He is underrated, way underrated. Like just go watch a Sinbad piece. Mm-hmm. You, you won't oh, yeah. be disappointed. He's, no, he's a true are. pro. So yeah. I don't know. Have you ever been, like compared to somebody where you were offended by the comparison? No, I had to take it for what it was. And, you know, I've, I've had a couple, you know, over my, my life. And I'll just say this. Um, I think I, I can say that I've, I've changed mm. over time, right? I, I may, yeah. have, may have matured, may have grown a little bit. Maybe it got into the gym a little bit. Yep. I'm going to give you real quick and we can jump off of this one. I'm going to tell you the two people on the different kind of ends of the spectrum yeah. that I might have been compared to. Mm-hmm. Today, I get Terrell Owens. You do get Terrell Owens, yeah. I do, I do, I do. When I was younger, say in elementary school. Yes. A much different Nick. A, a much different Nick. And forgive me, I just hit the mic, but... It was Steve Urkel. Oh. And I'm just saying, it was true. You know what I'm saying? I can't knock it. I, Does I that require you to wear high water <laughs> jeans, though? No, I didn't I didn't do that. The but suspenders? Man, the, the, the glasses, bro. The glasses. I had glasses that covered from my eyebrow down to my nose. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that's fucked up because that's what happens. That's what I'm trying to tell you about being light-skinned. Basically, any black guy that wears glasses... In school but, was going to be but, but, right? But yeah, but thing is, is that I was like the only black kid in like most of my classes, right? So now right. I'm the only black kid in the class. I get straight A's. I got big Coke bottle lenses on, you know, and, you know, I will admit when I got older, I think, you know, probably was in my in my 20s, went to a holiday party. Well, who you think I dressed up as, man? I got them suspenders. I got them, <laughs> them jeans. I gave us more glasses on. I did Make the damn thing, you know? You. Yes, I did it. No. Because no. I could <laughs> with the best of them, you know what I'm saying? So... <laughs> <laughs> this is a damn thing, you know what I'm saying? So it's all good. I'm not complaining. Didn't Urkel have that one line in one of the episodes where he's like asking me not to see Laura is like asking the fat kid not to get seconds at supper. It's like a line that you can't even say today, right? You no, know, you can't. Well, you can't. And have, it was so no. funny when he said it in, in that Urkel no. voice. Yeah, yeah. I remember it distinctly to this day because it was shows. so funny. It's so well written. Yeah, well, you, you couldn't have well, um, what is it, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Oh yeah, I yeah. mean, they were ragging on Uncle Phil every they'd episode. Be on, they'd be on Phil, yeah. They'd so like on, they're these on, days, they, I don't know that you could do that. But they're anyway. on Unc's head. But but that's also cultural, right? Like, I can just tell you, being biracial, that in like on my dad's side, on in in. in within white families, you don't really try to, you don't bring it when someone's overweight, really. Like it's not a topic that's brought up. It's like, it's taboo. Like what if somebody has, what if somebody has a lazy eye? Not in a white family. What if somebody has a peg leg? Like the thing is that not, not, not in a white family. Maybe the peg leg comes up if you start drinking, but now my my house was a bit of a matriarchy because we would visit all my mom's family. And I could just tell you that in black culture, that stuff isn't off the table. 
Right. It's called playing like, the dozens. Like that's not, it's not hurting people's feet. Like that wasn't the idea. Yeah. The yeah. intent wasn't to attack. Yeah, right? it's to the motivate intent, you. Yeah. It, it, or yeah. just playing the dozens. It's about having fun. It's yeah. like, because the thing is, is that we're all different and we all have what one what you could say, we all have flaws, right? There is no yeah. perfection. And that's what playing the dozens was about is that I'm going to pick out whatever that thing is. Yeah. And everyone has it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So being overweight yeah. was just one of the things, right? Yeah. If they, because the thing is, if I mean, everybody I can think, get that smoke. Yeah. Because even uncle Phil, I think got on will about his ears. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, you know, yeah. get him on his clothes, get him on how messy he is. Like, he could he could flip it back if he needed to, and he did. Yeah, and it worked in that show because the writers of that show understood that cultural element exactly in, in the black community. Like, if you're in a friend group and you're the fat kid in that friend group, like I have been before, they're like on you, but they're also the guys who are taking you to the gym, watching, helping you watch what you eat, like helping you be better at athletics if that's what you want to do, or right. whatever. Like, but they're not going to let you like ruin your life because they're they're and your health because they're scared to say something to you. Right. There's no fear that they're going to offend you. Uh, and, and, and in turn, you're going to go down this path of like being the unhealthy guy or girl in, in the friend group. Like it just it didn't work that way. Now, I don't necessarily agree with it. There's a lot of things in black culture that. That are just based on being minorities, really. It's based on being, it's like sticking together to survive kind of thing. Like right. things you wouldn't necessarily uh, approve of if you were in the majority seat, right? Or, or things you wouldn't necessarily lean on so much if you were in that majority seat. So I, I will say that, but it's just, it's interesting that, like you said, culture check, there's yep. like this <laughs> cultural difference in, in what's acceptable in one community sort of, you know, versus, versus another. Yeah. And um, I got, before, before we jump to the next one, which I want to do, cause we got so much good stuff to talk about. So I want to ask yeah. you one very quick question. Mm -hmm. How far back can you go in your lineage? Um, to say that you are biracial, for example, if, your oh. grandmother was white, mm. right? But your mother and father are then mixed. Are you biracial? If your great grandmother was white and then it trickled down, right? Like, are you mixed? If your great great grandmother, you know what I'm saying? Like, how far back do you go to say that you're mixed? Or how, how far is too far back? Yeah. So I would say two answers on that. One, I think it has to be your immediate parents. Okay. Yep. Because if you have two black parents at home and you find out your great, great grandmother was white, that doesn't seem to matter. And if you're not dark, dark black, like African black, then, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody white got in there. Mm. Right. Which is just the fact of the matter. It's just the truth. Right. So that's one. Two, I think that the term biracial and mixed, it, it's on there. It's, it's, it's up against the ropes. It's on the ropes. <laughs> it's like, it's like a little dizzy. It's a little punch drunk. <laughs> and it's just trying to fight out this last few rounds because I think we are going to get to that point through technology and healthcare where we hit post-racial society, meaning that DNA and CRISPR and those technologies will be so prevalent, so readily available that they'll become free with every doctor's visit you get, that your primary care physician will know exactly your DNA breakdown and what your precursors are here or there or the other, that everyone will sort of know that they're mixed up with so much stuff that to say that then you're biracial is almost like oxymoronic. Or, but it might come down to what you just said, though. Or, or duplicative. It's, it's like, why do you have to say it twice? Parent. 
Yeah, but if it's if it comes down to just being your immediate parents, and that's that's kind of the answer. That's who you. That's that yeah. that's your identity that you walk around with. But at some point, what I'm saying is, is like, and it may take another generation or two. Actually, maybe it's not going to die as soon as I think, but maybe another generation or two. Where, what do you lean on as your identity more? Like, imagine a world in 30 years where your identity is based more on what your DNA profile says than the way your parents look in your house. Yeah. I just had an interesting thought. Okay. So I'm just imagining you mm-hmm. as a bira- biracial person. You don't have to imagine I'm right here. Ellipsis. Right. So imagining you <laughs> as a biracial person saying, um, so you you said identify with right. Mm-hmm. So I think about identification with really with respect to you know there's the gender identification right. It's a yeah, big yeah, thing yeah. now right. I was yeah, yeah, born a sure. man. I I but identify with being a woman. This is how I want to you know how I want to be, and this is how I want you to perceive me right. And right now it's very much so in the zeitgeist that if I want you to perceive me as a woman, then I'm you need to do that. Yeah. Right. I'm like, no, you have to do that. That's it. Right. So I'm just imagining you as a biracial male mm-hmm. identifying as white. Yeah. 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 I see. What, what would that look like in this zeitgeist where you're like, no, like you put white on everything that you got to fill the senses. Anytime they ask you a question, you put white. And if someone comes and asks you a question, like, so how, Chris, you know, tell us, how is it having this media company and having, you know, you know branding and marketing in this, you know, world as an African-American male? And you say, no, 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 I'm white. Yeah. So that question doesn't apply to me. Right. Yeah. This is what Dave Chappelle was getting at in his opening episode of Chappelle's show. Right. Where he had the blind black guy who didn't know right. he was black. Yep. And then how that would play out. And it just goes to show how we use our out, how we weaponize our identities. And then we take that out into society. We weaponize it out in society as a black person, as a white person, as a, as a man, as a woman, as a transgender, as a, as a, as like we, we take, it's identity politics, but in, but, but we take it to the, our everyday lives, right. Where it's like, well, what, what's true is kind of separate from what you feel. That's what Chappelle was showing in that. It's like, what's right. true is you're a blind black man. Right. How you feel is that you're a white guy in the South that hates black people. That's right. Yeah. And it's like, so for me also, I think about this. And again, I guess this the is belief just kind of is dangerous, Nick, these ideas. He was at Klan rallies, right? <laughs> right, right. But it's not so dangerous. It's, dangerous. it's not necessarily dangerous because it's not that it's not that the Klansmen are just going to kill the guy. You know, that's not what they do. It's more like, no, I mean, it was dangerous because you know, he took his identity to go hurt other people. Well, there Remember, we he wrote Nick, all his well, books. Yes. Yes, that's right. Well, he was being dangerous in his attitude. Right. right. But anyway, so I was thinking about this. Um, so we were just, this is culture check. This is all within the culture check world. Yes. Right. And we were talking about being biracial. And I think for, for us, for you and I, I mean, you are mixed, you're biracial and I'll comment on my situation in a second, but it's not just that you're biracial. Cause you don't necessarily have to, you don't identify with either or both. That's not the identification right. to me. You're actually bicultural. Mm. Right. And to a degree I am as well. Right. But we never talk about that. And that's the thing is that we, you have mixed two different cultures, right? Yeah. And you mix two different cultures and it comes down to what you identify with. So think about me, right? So from my perspective, I used to get that question when I was in school about Nick, why don't you act black? Right. And I would get that from black people. I would get it from white people. Right. I don't even know what it means to act black, especially didn't know when I, when I was a kid. Right. Cause my parents are black. So I act like my parents probably. So like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. but the idea was it wasn't about my color though. They had associated it with my color. It's actually my culture. 
right? So the culture that I associated with was one of education being one of the most important things. You know, my diction being one of the most important things. Yeah. Learning Latin in different languages was one of the most important things. Playing soccer, which is a more international sport, was more important than, you know, pursuing basketball or football, which might be more considered black sports. So it really had nothing to do with my color, right? Yeah. I am brown skinned, right? My parents are brown skinned. So it wasn't, I wasn't acting black. It was, I wasn't acting the culture that they had associated with black. That's and cool. I think that's it for me. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm multicultural. My parents, you know, are, are come from two different places, you know, and they, they met up at Howard university, you know, you could just kind of hang out with my dad. You see where he come from, you hang out with my mom, you see it's two different people come together to make me right. So I'm bicultural in that way. And I think you are the same, regardless of the yes. color of your parents, right? Where they came from made them have these two different cultures that then, you know, created what you are today. So, and I would like to promote biculturalism because it's amazing what you can do in a room. It's amazing yes. what opportunities open up for you when you are open, truly, not just open, but when you can live within a multitude of cultures. That's right. Uh, organically. It's, it's, I think it's where we're all headed, you know, to the point. And there are, extremely, extremely large benefits, you know, to it. Yep. So Agreed. speaking of beneficial, we want to give this audience the good word from our good friend, Priscilla Wise, who was kind enough to drop us a mistake in the making, which we hope to bring you so many of these jewels this year in 2023. Uh, what stuck out to you on this one, Nick? Mistaken oh, man. little friendly yeah, advice from Priscilla Wise. <laughs> Yeah, there was so much good stuff in there. Um, I don't have a specific quote uh, because I don't know that a specific quote would do, you know, kind of my uh, reflection on this justice. Uh, but there is uh, the way that she talked about it. She's kind of talked about all of her skills. Right. And being in the, you know different rooms and bringing those skills you know, into the room and letting people know that she has these different capabilities, that she's different experience. And then people in the room saying, oh, wow, you do that? I didn't know that, right? We could really use that. And what that really made me think about was this idea that has been percolating, I think, at least for the past couple of years and probably through COVID, uh, but this idea of bringing your whole self to work. Mm. Right. Cause I noticed that a lot, you know, you're getting you're kind of hearing that right. Where some of the, uh, the dress codes that we've had in the past have kind of gone away a little bit, especially as we've mixed working at home and, you know, being in the office. So people are like, you know, wh why is it necessary to wear a suit and tie every day? Mm. Right. Is that really helping us get our jobs done? Um, you know, bring your whole self to work, you know, don't, don't be fearful of who you are. You know, whether it's as a, as a gay man, whether it's as a, an executive producer of films, you know, like, no, 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 you, it's okay to bring those things into work. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what stuck out to me is that, you know, Priscilla, I think at the time she was saying that she was in a room and the room um, that she was in, she had positioned herself as a writer. Right. Yeah. So what do we all do? We double down on that thing that we want to be right. It was like, writer, writer, writer. This is what I do. So I'm gonna tell everybody about my writing. But the thing that really stuck out was when she mentioned that she was an accountant, right? And the person in the room was like, I could use that. And the thing that, so the reason that struck me is that I do feel like even I do that sometimes where, you know, honestly, I've got, you know, my, my fun art here on the, on the walls, but I, you know, maybe I should start putting my Lego art up on the wall, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, and sometimes I think maybe I shouldn't because, <clears throat> you know, what you and I do here, we talk about independent film, we talk about creatives, we talk about branding and marketing. Maybe that doesn't hit right when if I put my Lego stuff up on the wall. I'm a big Adidas fan, right? You know that. Like, I rock yes. a bunch of Adidas stuff. I got an Adidas book right here on my desk. But it's like, but that's not what the people who are watching want to see, right? Because we're, we're talking about film, and that's who I am, right? That's who we are for this. But it's like, you know what? Having that Adidas thing or that Lego thing or whatever that thing is, that could create a connection with someone that never would have existed without it. Right. That yeah. creates a connection, a human connection on a different level that maybe even deepens the connection we have with people who are listening. 
You know, they're like, oh man, you know, I've already liked listening to these guys, but oh, he's a Lego fan too. I didn't know that, you know, like right, maybe, right, right. you know, that thing behind you, you know, that the bonsai bee, you know, that's Legos. That's something that I love doing. So anyway, I think that really, it really spoke to me because honestly, I believe that I need to do that more in my life. And I think that creatives, filmmakers, musicians, artists, whatever, need to do that. I mean, Chris, you were just talking about an event that you had gone to where, you know, you hear these amazing musicians. Yeah. Right. Like a women in film and television mixer tonight. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it, everybody's what you get to see sometimes when you go out to these events is you get to see what everyone has been working on for their entire life. That was what was so remarkable about it. It's like, yes, I'm on the board with these women and I know them in a boardroom capacity, Mm -hmm. but then to see them in their gowns, to see them nervous, to see them care about the end product, like, and then on top of everything else, just to see that they are remarkably talented. Like there's a reason they're on this board. It's like, oh, they're they're a concert level piano player. That's amazing. Exactly. But bringing that right. So that's yeah. and bringing that to said. the table. Yeah. yeah. You just said this, like, you know, them on the board, right. Yeah. But why not break out and talk about this thing that you did this, this, you know, concerto that you played this book that you wrote this other thing. I think sometimes we're trying to be so much of one thing that we neglect those other parts of us that really we want to shine in ourselves. Like you said, they spend time doing these things. I have so many Legos, man. It's, it's insane. <laughs> right. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, you and you've seen it, you've seen it and the kids have Legos, right? So we're all in, you know? So, but that's a part of me that who knows just by mentioning it can create a connection. And I think that's basically what I'm trying to do now through Priscilla's advice is just push that even more and just say, Hey, bring your whole self to whatever it is right? To work, to a conversation in a coffee shop, to a board meeting, to the next person you meet that you're having a conversation with. You don't have to be that one thing because it's more than likely that you're not just that one thing. Yeah. Creatives are not a monolith. They're they're just not. And there's a lot you bring to the table that you're interested in that will differentiate you from the next person, even in a competitive sense. I remember being told this when I graduated college was that I needed to go out and live. And I was actually told this in an internship at BMI Zamba. When I interned at BMI Zamba, it was like, you need to go out and live a rich life so that you have something to write about. And they were talking about songwriting, but the same thing happened when I got out of college, the same kind of advice, similar realm, which was when you go into an interview there, they may have seen four people with your exact resume or similar resume, similar look, and they're having to make a decision. And the differentiator will be that one connectivity point that you had that makes you easier to work with than the rest. That could be as simple as, Oh, you love Adidas. I love Adidas. Exactly. You love Legos. (laughs) I love Legos. Right. So bringing your whole self to work or to any situation is so important because you, it will, it will result in you getting 30% more opportunities just because you brought your whole self to it. So kudos to Priscilla wise for for dropping the knowledge. And uh, if you haven't listened to that, go do that right away at the, uh, any podcast player and on YouTube, that's our mistake in the making with uh, episodic writer Priscilla Wise. We also have a ton of new episodes out as well with Nell Tier. It's a great independent filmmaker. Her film Bolivar came out um, or has is complete. And you can, I think you can watch it a few places, but I think it's still maybe seeking uh, distribution. And then of course, Kristen Baker, who just dropped Diva Box TV, um, which is the, I think, not it may not be the only, but it's kind of like one of a very small handful of LGBTQIA streamers, like streamers. exclusively yep. streaming that content. And she has been an innovator in that field for a really long time. So kudos to Kristen Baker 
as well. And uh, kudos to you, Nick. This has been fun. I'm going to pour one <laughs> last uh, small glass of uh, this uh, French, Le, you say Le Fait, uh Papillon? Papillon. Papillon, okay. As you, you speak French better than me. This is uh, <laughs> tasty. This is a this is a varietal from the uh, south of France. So it's 40% Merlot. And uh, there's the label for anybody that wants to check it out and buy it for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's uh, quite delicious. And I do recommend it if you have the means. Very good. And um, other recommendations, of course, are to follow us on social media and underscore bonsai creative and to reach out to us, engage with us, any questions, any concerns, any mistakes, anything we, you want to say to us, yell at us, smile at us, thank us, trash us, whatever you want to do that can be accomplished at contact at bonsai.film. You can reach out to Nick directly at Nick at bonsai.film. You can reach out to me directly on Twitter at flame in your heart or you can just search for chris barkley i think at this point so you just search chris barkley i'll be the one that pops right up and you can uh dm me or tweet at me i answer 100 of those and we answer 100 of emails received so and of course you'll hear this in the in the post roll but do go to bonsai.film to learn everything about the make it podcast and about everything we're doing at bonsai creative and with that, Nick, can you please, please leave us with the credo? Yeah, the credo. Yes, mm -hmm. sir. This was great, man. I loved it. I love it. I love it. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, you know, one for ourselves because we love hanging with each other. But of course, for our, you know, filmmaking friends, family and uh, fans out there, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening. Nick, talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll do it again, my brother. All right. All Be right. good. Peace. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It Banzai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Bonsai Creative, and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film forward slash donate donations start at only $5 monthly and of course if you're looking to take a big step toward your film's financial success go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of branding and marketing packages and so much more you have everything to gain until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.